Hello and welcome into Lessons in Product Management. I'm your host, John Fontenot, and today we have the pleasure of learning from the CEO of User Voice, Matt Young. Matt and I talk about this concept of a customer-driven roadmap and what that actually means. And I guarantee you, as you read the title or listened to that come out of my voice, you had one of two reactions to a customer-driven roadmap. Either you hated it and you can't wait to listen to what we have to say so you can tweet about it and say bad things, or you nodded your head vigorously and said, yes, we're all about empathy and the customer and the customer is always right. And frankly, it's neither of those two things. Those are kind of the extremes of, of the way people interpret that. And we're gonna, we're gonna wade through the messiness of, of this topic and talk about what a productive approach is to a customer-driven roadmap. So thanks for joining me today, and we're going to kick it over to the conversation with me and Matt Young. Hey, Matt, welcome to the podcast. Hey, John, nice to be here. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. It's a a perfectly sunny day here. I'm very excited about that. Awesome. Yeah, same here. Cool. So uh, before we dive in, Matt, could you give an introduction to the audience of of yourself and uh, what you do at Usevorce? Yeah, sure thing. Uh, I'm Matt Young. I'm the CEO of, of User Voice. Um, User Voice has been around for, gosh, getting near 15 years now. It was the first tool that came to the market uh, to assist companies and collect, to collect, analyze, and and make sense out of uh, feedback about their products. Um, so we tend to study a lot of things about how different product management organizations work, uh, especially in the software space. And uh, one of the things we really like to do is is share all the things that we learn by observing the things that that do work and the things that don't work as well uh, with all the, the people we end up talking with, whether they end up being customers or not. That's awesome. And so in, in that data collection, uh, I'm, I'm sure you're getting a lot of a lot of feedback from customers, right? And so what, one of the topics we want to talk about today is, is customer-driven roadmaps, which is always an interesting topic because it can be uh, that phrase can be taken in multiple directions. So it sure can. Uh, <laughs> so to kind of set the foundation, how, how would you define customer-driven roadmaps when done right? Yeah. Uh, well, let me give you a couple examples of of done wrong. Um, <laughs> Sounds good. If you blindly follow any requests that are coming your way, like if you're in purely reactionary mode, um, that's going to give you some short-term gains, right? You'll you'll have some very satisfied people right now. But it's taking your eye off the ball in terms of like making sure that what you're working on and what you're building is really uh, the right fit for a larger product audience that's out there. Um, On the flip side, uh, there are people who think that a uh, customer-driven roadmap takes away the company's ability to innovate, that um, they're, you know, suddenly... um, the control is taken away from them, that they they no longer are allowed to be creative, which I think is a a universal feature of product managers. They really like to be creative. So a customer-driven roadmap done right, I think, is a roadmap that is built based on reality, Um, things that you're actually hearing uh, because you've spoken with customers, you've understand what their problems are, but the solutions that you're presenting on your roadmap are not just the reaction to like, hey, could you do this? It's, I, I heard the problem, I understood the problem, and then we went and, and you know, our, the innovation of the company is how to deliver the appropriate solution to that problem for the audience that you're trying to serve. Absolutely. Yeah, it brings up a, an interesting topic of like, 
push versus pull, right? Yeah. A lot of times, a lot of times when product people, especially technically minded product people think about um, innovation and creativity, it's, it's often around what, what can we do with this new technology, whether it's machine learning or uh, no code or web three or whatever it is, like what, what cool thing can we build versus looking for the, the pull of the market? And really you can only get that by, by hearing from the market, which, which I think is what you're saying. Yeah, it's true. Um, it, it's, you know, I, I come from an engineering background, so I get just as excited about anyone else when there's a new, a new toy to play with that, that's out there. And AI is a really good example of that. AI has reached a point where you can get off the shelf solutions that, that mean you don't have to have a huge team of data scientists with PhDs on your staff. And it, it's become more of a commodity that's accessible to the rest of us. But um, if you're just you know, trying to find the nail for your hammer, that's not necessarily going to be the right solution. So um, with our product, um, you know, a lot of text analysis is really helpful if you're, if you're capturing a lot of product feedback. But uh, the very traditional AI use cases, it turns out, are not what our customers really want, uh, surprisingly. And you'd only learn that by uh, really talking to people and understanding their problems. Or if you just go follow the use case in the marketing materials for the AI company, you may, you know, cool, that's neat, but is it going to get used every day? Is it going to be the thing that, that people decide they can't live without and get them to renew year after year with their, their SaaS subscription? Totally. No, I, I love that because like when you're talking to customers, instead of going to them and saying, hey, here's this cool new thing, use it. And it turns out to be something that's not desirable or usable in the way that you launched it. Uh, instead of creating feature bloat that way, you're actually getting to the the bottom of like, how do we make, they came to our product for a reason, right? They're trying mm -hmm. to, they hired us to do a job. So are we, are we delivering on that job or are there gaps? Are there potential uh, reasons for the customer to churn and like how can we identify that so we can go make sure we retain these users and we can go out and get more um, so I, I, I guess like from that standpoint what are some of the effective methods that you've seen product teams use to go and solicit that feedback yeah I think that there are two uh, big buckets of feedback I think about. There's uh, passively collected feedback, which just means keeping your eyes and ears open for all the different places that it just naturally lands on your doorstep. And I think that that's usually some of the most honest feedback that you get because someone, their, their head was like not in survey mode. You know, they came to you with a problem and they, they offered something on your doorstep that tends to be more true and more honest. So if you have a system in place that, um, just make sure that anyone who hears that, it might be a customer success team member, it might be a salesperson doing a demo or something. If they can grab that for you and like in as close to the customer's like actual voice as you can, um, that's a really good thing to grab. Um, when it comes to actively uh, going after feedback for people, I think that that is the most useful when you've already narrowed the universe of your problem space down to, all right, what are the themes we're going to think about in the next, you know, whatever your cycle is, two weeks, a quarter, a year, uh, however your company operates. Um, being very deliberate about crafting an effective uh, tool to get that information. And I'm not going to say the word like survey or anything like that, because that's just one way that you could go get this. Interviews yeah. are another way. Um, even, you know, 
capitalizing on research that other companies do. If they publish a white paper and they did a study or something like that, that's why it's out there. Like, go ahead and use it. Um, but one of the tricks that we always use when, when trying to, uh, I always think of it as like concentric circles. If you're um, passively collecting feedback, you're getting a really wide circle of things. And as you know, you're, you're circling the drain, so to speak, I guess that's a, not a great analogy, but like, um, as you're getting closer to the center of the problem, you need to be more deliberate about, about how you go about researching that. So one of the things that we always do as an exercise at user voice is to say, all right, we will explicitly write at the top of a document. What do we want to know by the end of this effort, whether it's interviews or a survey or something like that. And then we do this exercise where we, we kind of game plan based on what we think the answers might be. We'll, we'll, we'll say our customers might say this, they might say that, or they might say that. And we'll take it one step further and say, well, if the answer that we get is this one, what would we do? And if we can't clearly come up with a plan of action based on what we heard from customers, then we can go back and say, well, the, the questions that we're asking might not be right, or our hypothesis might not be fully formed enough where, um, you know, it, it doesn't keep you from being surprised. You still might hear, you know, none of the above as the answer that you're going to get. Um, but at least it's a good, like, check and balance to help you measure the quality of the test that you're going to put in front of people or the tasks that you're going to have them do. And um, by, by doing that, I think it really opens people's minds up on the product team, the marketing team, whoever's doing research for all the different ways that you might go about learning uh, about a particular topic. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense, right? I mean, a lot of times in product circles, we talk about product strategy and like, how are we going to solve a problem and take it to market? And, and within that narrative, there's like a baked in assumption that we're, that we framed the problem correctly. We fully understood the problem that mm -hmm. we validated the solution. And I think a lot of times those steps get, get missed. And so I think what you're talking about here is like kind of nested within product strategy, having a research strategy and saying like, what, what needs to be true for us to be like be confident in making this decision and how do we like what kind of research do we need to do to answer x y or z question am i understanding that right yeah um i think the the obvious mode of research is when you're at a point where you've got a solution in mind and maybe you've got a prototype like that's a, a very concrete thing to go out and test but there there are levels above that that sit at the problem space level um, yeah. and, and making sure that there's actually actual value in having that. Um, one thing that you said, uh, I agree with you that a lot of, a lot of companies can miss that reaffirmation of value, but, uh, a lot of people let that get stale over time. If you did this big study a year ago, uh, is that still true today? I mean, the, the world today versus 365 days ago is really, really different, especially in the past few years. Like we've all seen a, a number of different things that have happened. So it's important to revalidate that stuff, but it doesn't need to be this Herculean effort. Like I, I was, when we're, when we're doing that exercise about, okay, well, if the answer is this, what would we do? Sometimes the answer is, well, I, I'd want to ask some more people because if, if we've only talked to five or 10 people, that might not be enough. But if, if we, in some circumstances, if we've spoken with five people and the answer is always the same, okay, that, that's good enough for me because it lines up with what I common sense know to be true. And it, it 
uh, marries with other things we've heard in the past. So good enough. So I think, you know, making sure that you spend a little bit of time every time you're iterating on uh, whatever evolution your product might take, that might mean new feature, improving an existing feature, it might mean sunsetting a thing, that you're taking just a few moments to, uh, especially in an, in an open-ended way, ask people to describe to you what they're hoping that you will solve for them. For sure. So I, I want to pivot the conversation a little bit to something we talked about in a previous call. Um, and, and that's like these these idea boards, right? That um, where customers or internal stakeholders can go and, you know, submit ideas or requests and people can vote on them. And I, I've been on teams and I, I know other PMs sit on teams where they feel pressure to go and just build the thing, right? Mm -hmm. And we- The thing with the most votes, yeah. Right. And, and you, you kind of prefaced this earlier, but um, I, I wanted to bring up the point that we talked about before of like how to actually use that feedback more productively than just going build the thing and letting kind of that stakeholder pressure to say, look, they're asking for this. A lot of people are asking for this. Go do it. Like, yeah. what, what's, what's a more productive way to approach that? Yeah. Uh, so for better or worse, we're the people that came up with that thing in the first place, the, <laughs> the idea board concept that's been out there. And it, I think people are surprised when I say that that's not always the right strategy for a company to take. Um, most Because I think most people think about like upvoting ideas and, you know, seeing how popular they are. And, and that works really well in a few contexts, like in a B2C context, we do, um, we have a lot of companies that are gaming companies okay. that really like that. And that makes perfect sense. Like what, what do the most people want out of your thing? But um, for the rest of us that work in, and we're a B2B company ourselves, um, it's not the number of votes that matters. It's the relationship with what people are asking for and our company's strategic goals. Mm -hmm. So in a B2B context, the way uh, I always ask people to look at, at uh, their idea boards is first, you know, figure out, um, what number of accounts wants this thing? Because one thing that an idea board does is it kind of encourages ballot box stuffing that you know, someone at a company might say, oh, go vote for that idea because we really need them to do this, right? And if, if someone's not paying attention to the fact that you got one vote from one company and 75 votes from another company, like, oh, 76 people want this. Um, but it, it might just be two accounts that you do business with. Um, so that's really important to be able to do. The second important thing to be able to do is, is to be able to segment those accounts and say, you know, who's our target buyer, who is, uh, who's in and who's out and, you know, who's the, the market that we're trying to meet and make sure that you're able to do that stuff. Um, in the end, what I really want people to do with an idea board is use it as one data point to associate information they're getting about their product with their company's overarching strategic goals. And at the root of this is that I think that all product managers need to be able to articulate clearly, what is our company trying to do? Um, I'm su it's surprising to me. We didn't do that well until a few years ago. And it's surprising to me, like if, if ever we're talking to a customer and I asked the product manager, like, you know, what's your company trying to achieve? They're really good at articulating like what their short-term product goals are, but not how that relates to the company's goal. Are you trying to grow top-line revenue? Are you trying to increase retention? Are you trying to break into a new market? Um, and if it's like break into a new market, cool, like show me the accounts that are in that market that are asking for that thing. Um, once you're there, again, don't just go do that. Like that's 
that's the smoke that's probably going to lead you to the fire. So take that list of people and ask them if they can spend 15 minutes talking to you to give you a little bit more color, a little bit more detail. Um, ideally, you know, since we don't do in-person anything anymore, like do it over a video call so you can see like, are they bored? Are they excited? Are they passionate about this? Can they, can they tell you like, yeah, this is going to make me look great. It's going to, you know, let me do my job really fast and be able to do so many other things. And uh, cool. That's the kind of thing you want to jump on the thing that people are passionate about and are going to make them to be like raving cheerleaders for, for your company. Yeah. I completely agree that that's what I've, what I've seen in a previous company where we did use an idea board where like, and pivoting the, the actionable part of it from building what's requested to following up with people. Cause if they care enough to ask for it, they usually care enough to get on the, on a call with you and talk yeah. to it. And a lot of times we misunderstood, we made hypotheses mm -hmm. of like what they were actually asking for and why. And when we got on the call, it was something totally different from what we, from what we understood oh, yeah. from what they wrote. So it's, yeah, uh, no one's going to write you a, a book, you know, about what they want. <laughs> uh, and the, the subtleties of language really make a difference uh, there. So yeah, getting some of that's cool. I will say there is one exception to the um, just go do it thing. Mm -hmm. uh, one, one trick that I like to use is every time we get in between Thanksgiving and Christmas in the U S um, I think we're all at companies where like people are in and out, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to plan like bigger projects and stuff like that. Um, sometimes we, we just like take some of the most popular ideas and kind of treat them as like holiday presents for people. Like we'll, we'll just knock off some of like the most requested things, especially if they're like low hanging fruit, kind of simple things to do, especially like user interface improvements and that sort of thing. It's, uh, it's a good way to make uh, the team who's working on some longer term projects feel like short term productive and get some quick wins as well. Yeah, that's a great idea. Because it's true. Um, certain times of the year, people are out of office a lot more, whether it's this time of year, people are vacationing coming out of winter, yeah. or, uh, or the holiday time. So yeah, uh, you know, August in Europe is another good example, like relatively few people are working. So, yep. um, you know, hey, it's a, a great way to do some really, you know, you're, you know, they're gonna be productive type things with people. Absolutely. So Matt, it, it's been a pleasure talking about this. Um, to, to wrap things up, what, what what's some parting advice that you would give to the PMs listening in general as, as it relates to research? And then from there, um, maybe just give, do you have a quick pitch for like what makes user voice different from what the, the PMs might be using today? Sure. Um, the parting advice I ha I'll have for PMs has nothing to do with user voice. It's um, the thing I would hear time and time again is that people don't have time to do research, that we just need to do it. And um, I think if you think about the old measure twice, cut once analogy of building anything, um, I would argue that you don't have time not to do it because if you're wrong and you deploy this thing, you've wasted a bunch of expensive engineering time and now you're saddled with this thing that you have to maintain for who knows how long um, that is gonna be difficult to sunset. That was the wrong thing to build. So spend the time, uh, practice makes perfect. Like everyone's worried, like, what if I don't do it right? Like, well, get some experience. You'll, you'll do it better the next time. We do a lot of debriefs uh, after we do research to ask like, how could we have gotten to this answer faster? Or, you know, why didn't it work as well as we thought? Uh, what makes user voice different? Um, it's very flattering to me that our solutions get copied quite a bit. Um, I can almost set my watch to like, we release a feature and I see three or four other companies do the same thing, uh, you know, within a year or something like that. Um, 
what makes user voice different from other companies that handle product feedback is that we are dogmatic about studying how to do product management well and how to make good sense out of listening to customers and, and actually turning that into actionable stuff um, at your company. So I always think that when you buy user voice, you're, you're half buying the software and you're half buying our expertise and our help uh, and all that stuff. So, um, you know, whether you're interested in, in user voice, the product or not, any conversations that we have with, with anyone who works in the product space is valuable for us because that's who we're trying to build the tools for. Um, so we always love to hear from people. Awesome. On that point, how, how do people get in touch with you if they uh, have questions or, or want to give feedback? Yeah. Uh, Uservoice.com is where you can read about products and all that stuff. Uh, Matt at Uservoice.com is my email address. You're more than welcome to email me directly. Um, and then on LinkedIn, uh, if you want to find me there, that's cool. But I think email's better because LinkedIn has become a circus of uh, advertisements these days and, and isn't as easy to get through all the noise. Absolutely. Well, Matt, it's, it's a pleasure again speaking with you. Thanks for coming in and sharing the advice that you have for how to do better research and how to uh, take actionable uh, steps from that research today. I appreciate yeah. you joining. Yeah, John, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Hey, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, make sure you like and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube channel. If you're watching on the, or if you're listening on the podcast, make sure that you rate and review and subscribe or follow if you haven't already. And uh, thanks for joining me this week and we'll see you next week for another lesson in product management.